in a series called It All Adds Up. We started this a few weeks back. Um, we're camping on Second Peter, incredible passage of Scripture, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And one of the, the things that we've been challenged to do, because we want this to be inbred in our heart and in our mind, so that when we get into any kind of a situation, it's kind of default mode. It just goes to work on us. It does what it's supposed to do. And so one of the ways to do that is we've been challenged to memorize this passage. Now, getting the first two verses down wasn't too terribly bad, but as you start adding things to it, you start going, oh man, I'm not so sure I like Peter's vocabulary and the way he's putting things here, and it's getting a little bit confusing, and I keep getting tripped up on it, so I'm just going to lay low on this one. Um, let me challenge you and encourage you to put aside all the excuses, I can't, and I'm ADHD, and I'm dyslexic, and all these wonderful things, that we, which may be true, but still, we can memorize it is a good thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. When I was in Awana, I memorized, because Awana, because they gave me awards and stuff. When I was on the Bible quiz team, I wanted the trophies, and so I memorized. But when I got out and I got done with the awards and the trophies, you know what? I graduated from Bible memory. And then I realized, just a short time later, the incredible benefit of memorizing large chunks of, of Scripture. Listen, Dallas Willard, who just happens to be the spiritual formation guru out today. He's a philosophy professor at USC. But he says this. He says, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what they need. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's where you need it. But how does it get in your mouth? Memorization. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witnessing will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your life will be solidified. That's Swindoll. So let me encourage you. I'm going to struggle and battle and get the goodness. Was it a goodness here? Get it all mixed up. But if we keep going over and over and over it in time, the goal is for it to work its way in. So we're going to quote now. We're going to quote the first four verses. If you're maybe you don't feel real confident right now, open your Bible. Second Peter chapter one. Just read aloud with us. If you've got it and you've got it ready, then let's go ahead and, and try to quote this. OK, second Peter chapter one says Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the of, <laughs> have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. These he is very great and precious promises so that by them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
Great text. Great, great, great text. Let me encourage you. Next time we quote won't be next week. Dr. John Stumbo will be with us. But the following week, we're going to add verses 5, 6, and 7. And you're going, oh, man, three verses. These are easy verses, though. These are not all that complex. It's where we've been camping. It's on the screen. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, last week we pointed out that if you're serious about following Christ, when you hit this list, there should be an urgency burning in your heart. A a deep desire to know what this means because the next couple of verses. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Well, just a couple of observations. These things need to be in us in increasing measure. Think about each of these characteristics, separate bank accounts. And they're going to grow, but not going to grow by interest. You don't put in stuff in them once and then just watch them build. You have to keep keep making deposits for it to grow. So are these separate accounts in your life, are they growing? Do you have more in it than you had a year ago? Peter says, if you want to be effective for his kingdom, you will add these to your faith. It's the only promise he gives us here with that, in that regard. He goes on, he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we're not making our election sure to God. He knows if we're in or not. But we're, we're working assurance in our own life. By adding these things. Now, you might not think assurance of your salvation is a huge thing right now. Things are going fine. You're not worried about it. Well, if the wheels fall off and if God gets quiet, let me tell you that assurance is priceless. That's where a lot of folk walk away because they don't have that assurance. And you know as well as I do, sooner or later, the wheels will come off. And so you need that. Peter says, if in fact you're never going to fall. If, in fact, you're going to have that assurance, if, in fact, you're going to be effective for his kingdom, you need to add these things. Now, let's think about the text for just a minute. The faith that we've received, if you're a follower of Christ, the faith you received, you do not get because you've earned it, right? To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. You've got this as a gift. Not based on your goodness or because you went to church or because you were baptized or because, you know, you grew up in a Christian home. You got this only because it's a gift based on his righteousness. Okay, we got it. It's said. It's done. Your sins are forgiven past, present and future. It's, we're, we're, we're secure. But Peter says, if you want assurance of that security, of that salvation, if you want to be effective, if you, if you want to be productive, if you don't want to fall away, you need to add some things. And the first thing he mentions is we need to add goodness. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. That goodness is really banging on all cylinders. It is, it is doing exactly what we were created to be doing. It's being who we were created to be, be being. From a depth in, in, our, in our heart, it is a deep desire. It's not just doing good things. Okay? It, 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 is, it is a deep desire to know Him. Uh, to honor him. And so you start off with this burning heart. You know, Psalm 63, my heart longs for you. you know, my life longs for you. My, bo- my body thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We really want him. And if you want to do whatever he wants you to do, next question, good question is, well, what is that? Well, then Peter says, well, good. You've got to start with the right motivation. Then you add knowledge. And so we're in his word. We're understanding who God is, understanding what his will is for us, all of those things. 
And at this point, still, it's all internal. Our faith is internal. Our, our desire, our goodness is internal. Our knowledge that we just gained is in, eternal, our internal. But now we've got to get it external. How are you going to do that? Self-control, Peter says. You've got to add now self-control. Well, have you ever lost control? Now, has your spouse ever lost control? Or kids, have your parents ever lost control? Right? Uh, let me read this. June 1st, 2007, minor league Mississippi Braves baseball manager Philip Wellman threw a major league tantrum. During a losing game, and you can see this on YouTube, it's uh, quite the picture. During a losing game against the Chattanooga Lookouts, Wellman was infuriated over a call made by the home plate umpire. He charged out of the dugout, stood nose to nose with the umpire and began screaming. He then framed his hands just outside the umpire's face and shook them emphatically as he blustered all the more. Wellman then stormed toward home plate. He knelt on one knee and covered the plate with dirt and then retraced home plate with his finger, this time about a yard wide. Then after a brief altercation with the third base umpire, Wellman stole third base. Literally, he pulled the bag out of the ground and sauntered towards second base and hurled it discus style out in the infield, out of the infield. Uh, then walking back towards the pitcher's mound from second base, Wellman dropped to the ground and belly crawled toward the mound. Picked up the rosin bag and after pulling an imaginary pin with his teeth, lobbed it, at, lobbed it as a grenade at the home plate umpire. Then he headed for the outfield and on his way, Wellman uprooted second base. And then he picked up the discarded third base and took them with him. And just before he left the field via the outfield wall, he blew a kiss to the cheering crowd. Wellman's temper earned him a global recognition and a three-game suspension. Have you ever lost control? Now, we've got a lot of excuses why we lose control, don't we? I mean, I'm just having a bad day. I had a headache. I was tired. It was not my fault. You know, he kept pushing my buttons. If she would have just laid off, it wouldn't have gone. It was not my fault. You know, it's well, all, all my friends were saying it was OK. And the salesman was putting too much pressure. And he told me he loved me. And it's just the way I'm wired. And I can't help it. And I can't control. It. We got a lot of excuses, excuses. We got them all. And we all know everybody in here. We know two things about loss of, of control, whether it's that temporary, you know, that temporary burst or whether it's a sustained lack of control. We know two things about that lack of self-control. We know that it, it gives um, a brief, it gives a very brief fun, you know, immediate fun, short term fun. It, it's fun. You eat that fifth donut. <laughs> it feels good, you know. Oh, you buy that gizmo and you know where you're at financially, but, but this is a cool gizmo, man. <laughs> we'll worry about this one later. And so you just kind of you grab it or whether it's sexual, whether it's emotional or whether it's just telling him, you know, giving him a piece of your mind. Doesn't it feel good? Not that I would know personally, but doesn't it feel good? Just let him know where she, where she really stands and what everyone else thinks. It just feels good. It's that short term fun. But we also know everybody knows that not only does the loss and control give you short term fun. It gives you long-term pain, doesn't it? You know, when the, when the whirlwind dies down, and it dies down, when you look around, you look at the damage, and you see there's some hurt, there's some destroyed trust, there's some um, relationships that have been irreparably uh, damaged, and just a quick, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again, I didn't really mean it, you know, it's just not going to cut it. And it might get healed up in time, but there's always going to be a scar there. It's never, and, and, and we know Time, we, I guess if we went around and we gave everyone give an opportunity to give them a microphone, give us an example, we'd all have examples. And, and maybe it was, it was now financial pressure 
because of that lack of control or or legal issues or jail time or rehab stuff or maybe divorce court or unemployment lines or alienated kids or destroyed health. There's there's all kinds of things that come from lack of of self-control. And that's why Peter says here, Peter says, an ingredient to a well-lived life is self-control. You've got to have it. It has to be part. Now, this is, this, I've got a saying I like to, I think I like to hopefully live by, and that is that your decisions determine your destiny, which is true. But I think what Peter is saying here is your discipline determines your destiny. I almost, I can tell you where you're going to go in life based on your discipline. I'm going to tell you what, 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 how things are going to work out for you based on your discipline. This is really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? I mean, a, a lot of Christians, and we, we know, we're, we're guilty. We like to add the goodness, that emotional thing with God. We love God, and it's good, and God's comfort. And, love. and then the knowledge, I'm going to have another Bible study, I'm going to Bible study, Bible study. And, but then we kind of cut it off. We draw the line. Yeah, the self-control part. Putting the knowledge and stuff into action. Because this is painful. Dying to self is a painful thing, right? And, and when you have to pay the price for the values of following Christ. And when Jesus says the world hated me, it's going to hate you as well. Well, that doesn't sound real good. And take up your cross and follow me. Well, I don't know if I like that one either. And, and, and we go through. This is where our, our unmet desires or our bodies are screaming out for fulfillment. And this is where our, our, our old nature and hell itself and our culture kind of all put on the same uniform and gang up on us. And this is probably going to be the most fierce battle we will fight. And we say things like, I can't. And maybe so much it's not I can't, it's I'd really like to. And I, I tried to, but I didn't know really that the cost was going to be as high as it is. And when I got into it, the co- I, I, I'm not going to pay that cost. Now, why is this self-control thing so difficult? Well, let, me, let me ask a, a question or two. Okay, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands in just a moment. So hang tight. If this list, don't, don't raise it right away. If this list, if you've ever, this ever described you at ever one point in life, not right now, of course, but other, you know, past life, have you ever started a diet and then stopped for whatever reason, but you, you stop? Or have you ever started music lessons because you really want to learn the piano or the banjo or whatever? You really wanted to learn this and you got into it, you realize, man, this is just not coming. So you stop. Or have you ever bought a treadmill? Because you were to get in shape, man. And it's somewhere in the basement right now. You sold in a garage. Ah, that didn't work out either. Or have you ever got that club membership? And I don't know what happened to that one. Or you bought that book because you were really going to read this book, you know, and somewhere in the second chapter you got lost and who knows where that thing is today. Or you ever made a commitment to quit watching TV or alter your, your schedule in one way or another, or quit working so much, just all to be abandoned. If that, anything like that semi, semi ever describes a past event in your life, would you just raise your hand for just a minute? We do have some honest people here. All right, good, good. And we know. We know that this is a difficult thing. Now, a couple of, of, of definitions as far as what self-control is, what it's not. Okay, first of all, it is not asceticism. You know, we think sometimes oh, self-control means no fun, man. It means no goofing around, no practical jokes. It doesn't mean anything like that. 
I tell my guys, maturity is not the absence of goofing around. It just knows when you can goof around and when you can't goof around. So self-control does not mean asceticism. It does not equate into godliness. Now, sometimes we think so because self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but we know of people who don't give a rip about God, who are their control in their money or in their exercise or in their diet blows ours away. We wish we had that. Uh, so self-control is not the same thing as godliness. What the word means, neat word, it means inner strength. I like that. I like Because you can you know, be hold, look like me, be bugged out, you know? I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. Uh, Deluded, but not that deluded. Um, But internally, how strong are you? It's not an external thing internally. It has nothing to do with gifts or personality. Internally, how strong are you? And that's, that's a, Paul gives us a picture of this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in the race all the runners run? Everybody's running when when the gun goes off. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. It says, everyone who competes in the games, the Olympics, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. Our word is sitting there, actually. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, he says, This is Paul. He says, my body does not call the shots in my life. My thirsts, my appetites, my desires, my fears, my insecurities, that that, that does not call the shots in my life. And if you're a long distance runner, you know that sooner or later when you're running, however long down the road you get, you hit the wall. And that lactic acid is built up in your muscles and your lungs are not getting the air that they need. And and your body is screaming out, we're done. And your mind is saying, oh, no, we've got a ways to go. And the body starts, they've got this fight going on. Your body says, maybe you got ways to go. Good luck getting there because we're done. But a runner, it's not that it's real easy for him, at least on the front end. It's that he's made his body his slave. He says, no, no, body, you don't understand. You don't control here. You're not calling the shots. We're going. An athlete, their body is their slave. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to be slaves to our bodies. They tell us when we're going to lay down and when we're going to sleep and what we're going to do and what we're going to eat and where we're going to go. And our fears jump in and control. And all these things call the shots instead of what we know is right. We have no inner strength. Incredible verse. I love this verse. Proverbs 25, 28. It says that like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Ancient world, you tried to build your city on an elevated piece of property as much as you could find, and then you, you constructed a wall completely around the city. Now, everything went in the wall. wall had gates, and there were sentries posted at the gates in the daytime. The gates would be open. People could kind of come and go. But at nighttime, national emergency, gates were shut. Uh, no one could come or leave, couldn't come or you know, leave the city. It was, it was locked up. Uh, these walls could be huge. For example, around Babylon. The wall around Babylon, archaeologists, archaeologists tell us, 300 feet high. And that's like a football field, standing on edge. 30 feet Plus, wide, you could ride three chariots across it. You can imagine scaling that wall there. No one's getting in. These guys knew that their wall was their primary form of defense. 
that their, their impenetrableness of their wall is what gave the, the people inside security. Their children's future was based on the strength of that wall. People's happiness, their survival was based on that wall. So you pulled all stops. This is why probably why Nehemiah, when he's in, back in, in Babylon himself, and he hears that his uh, uh, city, Jerusalem, the wall's broken down, is crushing him. So he gets back and the, he does rebuild the, the wall. If your wall is down, you're, you're in trouble. I'll give you a, a good picture here. Second Chronicles 36, Nebuchadnezzar was just sieging Jerusalem. And finally, busted through the wall. Wall, wall broke through. This is what he did. And God, it says that God brought up against them, the Israelites, the king of the Babylonians, after he gets in, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed them all over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and of the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the rest of the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. And he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. With the wall down, everybody was a victim. The young, the old, a spiritually major price to be paid if the wall goes down. Uh, relationally, anything of value is gone. Let me ask you, internal strength, do you have it right now? How is your wall inside? Is, is, it, is it strong? Is it impenetrable? Is there the pretty, pretty decent, but there's this one place. It's very, very dangerous. Now, okay, how do we, how do we add to our faith self-control? We all want self-control. Yep, how do we get there? It's not an easy place to, to go. Well, a couple of things, three things actually. First thing is know your identity. Look what Peter says in Second Peter uh, 1, 9. He says, if anyone does not have them, these character traits, self-control, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. He's forgotten his, his you know, the chart we had at the front a couple of weeks ago. He's forgotten his position. He's now positionally perfected. He's holy. He's forgotten all about that. It's like this guy was taken from the ghetto and he was adopted by the, the prince in the palace. Uh, and his identity changed. But one day he started hanging out in the street. And he came across his gang friends and forgot all about this. Started acting. Just forgot. His name is still on the birth certificate. He's still adopted. That's all set. But he's acting in a different sort of way. Peter says that the key way that we we add is we remember that this world is not our home. The things down here do not belong to us. They're not for us. They're gifts from God. Let's hold them loosely. Enjoy them. But ultimately, our home is in heaven. And folk living for that, you know what? That's the key first way of, of not or of adding self-control to our faith. Great story. If you have your Bibles, uh, just look at it for just a second. Genesis 39. You know the story. Uh, Abraham's in Canaan by obedience. He has a boy named Isaac. Isaac's staying there for a while. He has a boy named, J- named Jacob. Jacob's got, got 12 sons. They're going to become the 12 tribes. Well, the 10 oldest guys... Uh, Really don't like, at this point, the baby in the family, Joseph. Uh, second youngest. They really don't care for him. 
because he's spoiled rotten. Basically, that's what it seems. Uh, Daddy has communicated to everybody that, that Joseph is the favorite. Well, the other the older ten boys don't care for that one very much. So one day they're away from the, the farm. They're away from Dad. And Ishmaelite traders come by. And the older brothers get this great idea. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And then we'll just tell Dad that he was killed. This will work. So he goes into Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he's on the slave. He's at the slave market. And he's sold to the minister of defense for Egypt. A guy by the name of Potiphar. Very powerful guy. And Joseph goes to the Potiphar's place. Starts off, no doubt, as a lowly slave, but Potiphar's no idiot. He's watching this, this slave who's got this incredible leadership ability and administrative gifts. And, and all the other slaves are, are following this guy. And whatever he's doing is it's like turning to gold. He's like King Midas. And so he keeps getting promoted. And every time he's got an evaluation that comes through, he gets a, he gets a bump in his, his salary and his, his, his responsibilities. And before you know it, Joseph is in charge of all of Potiphar's estate. But now Potiphar is minister of defense. He's gone off in wars and making sure the borders are secured. Well, Mrs. Potiphar would be then in charge of the home. But Joseph is right there. And so they spend a good amount of time together and Chapter 39, verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, this was an immediate thing, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. She would hang out with Joseph. They would talk. They would laugh. She would notice he gently is. All those wonderful things. And in time, Mrs. Potiphar fell in love, as it were, with Joseph. Come to bed with me. She offered herself. But Joseph's response, but he refused with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Joseph knows his position. He, he knows who's really the potter for them. He knows who he is. And he knows where he's been elevated. He's got a clear head in the midst of all of this hormonal rush. He's got a clear head. He knows his position. Because he knows his position, he's able to make a, a decent decision. Know your position, who, who you are in Christ. This world is not our home, those things of it. Second thing we need to know is we need to know the consequences. Sometimes we get caught up in these things and we forget the consequences. The bill will ultimately come due. We know that. We can always choose our, our actions. We can't choose the consequences, but they'll be there. And they'll be there in spades, usually. Uh, when we choose to sin, whenever we choose to sin, whether we choose to entertain that thought because no one else is around, they're not going to know. Whether we and get into that conversation that we know we shouldn't get into, repeat that information that we don't know if it's true or not. We're going to repeat it anyways because it's fun to repeat it. Uh, tell him, let him know what we stand. All those kind of things. Change the, the numbers on that form because maybe that's going to help us. Whenever we go down that road, we need to know that, that we clip our own wings spiritually. There will, you will never fly as high as you could have. There will be a, a level of joy and peace that you will never be able to attain because you have dulled yourself spiritually. We think we can do this. We're just going to ask forgiveness and be okay. And God grants forgiveness when we truly repent. But there are still consequences that will come with that. And Joseph, verse 9 of chapter 39, he says, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Now, Mrs. Potiphar, my guess is, just guessing here, probably a pretty gorgeous gal, actually. 
uh, Potiphar, culturally, he, she would have attended big social things with him. As Mrs. Potiphar looked, that reflected Mr. Potiphar's success. Eye candy, as it were, it was very important at this point. And so Mrs. Potiphar probably was a knockout. Joseph was about 17-year-old, full-blooded Jewish boy. Between those two, they've got all the power. Potiphar's off at war someplace. Those guys aren't, they've got all the control. They can kick everybody out of the house. they they got everything. They, what are the odds of them getting caught? Ah, there's no odds of getting caught. We're okay here. But what does he say? I love this line. How could I do such a wicked thing and not and sin against my future wife? How could I do such a wicked thing and hurt my children? How could I do such a wicked thing and endanger my, my, my financial role, my, my employment? Those are good deterrents for sin. But those are often the ones we live on. But those got to be secondary. The most important thing Joseph is, is, is where he's at is if I do this, I will never know my God as well as I could have. If I do this, I, I dull myself spiritually. I'm not going to be good for anybody like I, I could be. And Mrs. Potiphar, I've enjoyed the time we've been together and on and on and on. But you need to know, whatever your body is saying or your emotions are saying, I have to listen to a, a, a stronger voice. And whatever my body is saying, you need to know, I, 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 that doesn't call the shots. I have a stronger voice. It's the voice of my God. And I, I can't do this. This is, this is why this is important for us. We have to, to understand this. Guys, before we get into a relationship, you're going out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, things start to get warm. You need to have this down now, not wait to then to try to decide well, what's right or wrong. And you need to say to yourself, maybe you need to say to them, listen, listen, as wonderful as you are, and I love you very much. You need to know my relationship with my God is just a little bit more important than my relationship with you. And therefore, I cannot do this thing and sin against God. When we're looking to get into whatever the conversations, we know we might hurt friends, all those kind of things. But still, we need to say, I appreciate your friendship. I like being with you. But you need to know, I'm not sure this conversation. I can't participate in this. I cannot do this in sin against God. I'm sorry. And, And let it cost what it may. We need to know what the consequences are understand and uh, live accordingly. There's a third thing, though. We need to know our position. We need to know the consequences. But the third way in which we can add to our faith self-control is we need to know the escape route. Again, Genesis 39. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, kind of wearing him down, you'd think, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now you wonder, why did he choose? I'm not even going to be with Mrs. Potiphar. Is it because he was just concerned for her? You know, this is tough on this gal, and he was just trying to spare her, you know, all this. Maybe, maybe he knew himself, and he knew his limitations. He said, man, I better not put myself in that situation, because, I mean, it's, it's what our, our nat- old nature does to us, doesn't it? Our old nature will, will, will tell us, you know, you're not going to do this thing. Of course you're not. No, no, you wouldn't do it. But you can get a little bit closer. I'm not you're not going to do it, but getting closer doesn't. There's nothing sin in getting close. You get closer, so we inch a little bit closer. Because we didn't do anything yet, so we're okay. But Joseph knows you keep inching closer, sooner or later you're going to go over the line. Uh, this is, if, I don't have it on the screen. Great verse, though. 1 Corinthians 10 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. 
I like this part. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He knows your limitations. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. Now that escape route might look a little bit different each time. Jesus, I think, is talking about the same sort of thing. In, in Matthew 5, he says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, your right hand, cut it off. Now, he's not talking self-mutilation there. It's against the Old Testament law. He's using hyperbole to say you do whatever it takes. Your inner strength, your wall, is it breached somewhere? You, got, you, got to play, you just need some discipline in one place or another. My, my dad, I didn't find this out till his funeral. He came to know Christ uh, a little later in life, I think 30. My dad was a, was a, a gambler, though. He liked to go to the uh, sportsman park in Arlington and, and, and play the, the horses. But after he came to know Christ, coming home from work, he would go 35 minutes out of his way instead of driving right by sportsman park because the pull was so great. And he thought, oh, man. That, that, that a lot of folk could drive right by there, don't even know what's there. For my dad, it was, it was going to suck him in, and so he went way out of his way. A key way to add discipline to your life is to figure out where those areas are that, that I am very prone to fall, and then do whatever you have to do. Maybe that means putting some filtering system on your computer. Maybe that means getting an accountability partner, someone who's going to really ask you the hard questions. Maybe that means... Doing something with your, your work, uh, moving, whatever it takes. Jesus says, whatever it takes, you do it. And you'll build self-control. You know, this is, is, I love this because Peter is getting ready to die here. Peter was, was called while he was a fisherman. Peter tripped along the way spiritually. We know this. Stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. Peter sank in the water. Peter denied Christ. He knows what it's like to try to do religious things and be, be ineffective and be unproductive and trip and fall. He knows all about it. He's lived that life. But then something happens to Peter. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Where he now is preaching to thousands at Pentecost. He now is doing jail time for his faith. When, as soon as his book is done, Nero is going to crucify him upside down. And he says, listen... There was a time when the knife came to my throat and I ran. But we know when it happened again with Nero, he was able to handle it. And so he's saying, do you, you want to finish well? Do you want to not fall? Because I fell, I know. Do you want to be effective and productive? Because I've been ineffective and productive in Christian church things. And I've also been effective and productive. And so I'm telling you, if you want to be, add, you have to. Don't be satisfied just with goodness and with, with knowledge. You have to add to that self-control. So let me ask you again, how's your wall? Is your inner strength? Is there a place where you need to add self-control? Pray with me. And just between you and God, with your eyes closed now, you can tell him what he already knows of the area of broken down wall where control is needed, but it's just not there right now. Thank Him very much for your position. Be reminded anew that you are seated in the heavenlies. This world is not our home. Be reminded, and probably you know this already all too well, consequences will come with it. Pray that He would open your eyes to the escape. That, that you would have the courage to take it. That you would do whatever it takes.
to add to your faith self-control. God, I ask that for myself and my brothers and sisters here. You know us, God. You know that sometimes Romans 7 can be like our life verse where Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I, I, that, that, uh, that enters into my, my life as well. God, would you, would you protect us from that? I pray this week, God, this, this, our families watch us. As our people at, at work, friends watch us, as the neighbors and the people in the club watch us, would they see self-control where we love you, we know what you want us to do, and then we do whatever we have to do to employ that in our lives. I would ask that, God, that that would be so. That Jesus would be glorified through us this, this week. God, that, that as people look on, they'll know that you're real, they'll know that, that you're powerful, and they might even see that and long for that in their own life. I would pray that that would be so. Thank you again, God, for your patience and your uh, forgiveness, your grace, because you know how much we trip and fall along the way. But may we add to our faith goodness and knowledge and self-control this week in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.